Have you noticed that we have already begun into the next presidential election cycle? It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's still, you know, almost, well, at least a year and a half away before the election, probably a little more than that. I think 20-some different candidates have already indicated that they intend to run for president in the next cycle. And so for the next year and a half, we're going to have to be hearing all about this. Uh, among those 20-odd candidates who are seeking maybe to be the next president, what they will be trying to persuade us is that these are bad times. These are really bad times. Things are not going well, and we need new leadership. Won't that be the message that they're trying to convey to us? We need new leadership. I don't know about you, but I dread that. I dread that whole process leading up to the next presidential election. But that's what's going to happen, right? Times are not good. Give us new leaders. That's what's going to be all about. Well, that was what was happening in the text that we want to use as the basis of our study this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. In the text that Jeff read for us just a few moments ago, I want you to turn there. And we'll be trying to make some observations about a situation that developed in the nation of Israel and try to make some parallels to us in the spiritual realm. That will be our study this morning. We stop here for just a minute to welcome everybody. Thank you for being here. Uh, so many have mentioned as we've been coming in how nice it is to see the sun shining after a full week of heavy rain and even floods. Uh, as Gordon prayed, some people have been adversely affected by the floods in our area. We're, we're grateful for God's blessing and that we're here and we're safe and we're glad that you can be a part of this. Thanks for any and all who are visiting with us today. We're glad that you have come. We hope you'll come again when you can. And we're always open to your questions about what we teach and what we do here at College View. Just let us know how we can help. Thanks for being here on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. Read with me again 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 starting. It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after their lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations, that we also may be like all the nations. All right, so you see the motivation that caused the people to come to Samuel and ask for a king. Make us a king, they said. The situation, at least at first when you read this, the motivation for their request seems to have been they had bad leadership. Samuel's sons in particular were corrupt guys. Uh, they took bribes. They perverted judgment. They, they were bad characters. And so at first blush, as you read through this text, it seems like the people are saying, we just got to have new leadership. I want to tell you, if that was all that they were worried about, then that could have been fixed pretty easily. That could have been fixed by just getting some new judges instead of Samuel's sons, who were corrupt guys, appoint some judges that were good, righteous individuals, and that situation could have been fixed pretty easily. But it's obvious that there was more going on here in the minds of the people in Israel, and what was going on in their minds was not good. Actually, I think we can see that while they were engaged in some bad thinking that led to this request for a king, 
that maybe we also do some of that same thing. And so we want to base our lesson this morning on that request that they had, give us a king. First thing that I'd like to point out to to us is that, like Israel, many times we want to fit in. We don't want to be different. Um, I think people are motivated by that more than we would even like to admit or realize. Uh, it's, it's no fun to be the odd one out. There's no fun in being ostracized. ostracized. Acceptance sort of is appealing to our pride. Uh, we want to be like the people around us, and that very much seems to be what was going on in the minds of the children of Israel. Notice, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We skip down to verse 20, they repeat that again, that we also may be like all the nations. That was clearly a desire on their part. Now, consider for a minute how they were different than the nations around them. The nations around them had kings. They did not. Israel was being judged uh, by these appointed judges of God. Uh, that arrangement uh, made them look kind of odd in comparison to their neighbors, their, the, the nations around them. These judges were appointed by God, and they were ruling based upon a religious perspective. And that made, that made Israel different from everybody else, and, and the Israelites didn't like being different, and they wanted to fit in. You see that maybe that was not only a problem for them, but very often is a problem for us as well. The Israelites didn't want to be different. We want to be like the people around us. How often does that come to our mind? We don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We want to fit in. We want to be like the people around us. I remind you of an instance in the life of Jesus where that Apparently, that sort of same thinking came up. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, uh, John chapter 15, beginning verse 18, in the, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted you... Uh, persecuted me rather, they will also persecute you. Jesus said here that it's just absolutely unavoidable. We are, if we're going to be his disciples, we are going to have to be different. Uh, they persecuted him. They hated him. If we're his disciples, they will persecute us. They will hate us. And if that's not happening to one extent or another, obviously we're not sitting out to draw that response from the world around us, but it's inevitable that it will come. When we're trying to live righteous lives in the midst of a wicked world, it's inevitable that will come. And if it's not, then it's probably an indication that we're missing the mark somehow or another. If we're not different, if we fit in perfectly with the world, especially considering how wicked the world has become in our day and time, if we're fitting in with the world, it's probably a real sign of huge problem. We have to accept the reality that we're different. We will be different. We will be viewed differently. The Israelites didn't like that. Too often we don't like that, but we have to accept that. And so that's going to dictate somewhat about the way we dress, about how we act, about where we go, about what we do, about the, uh, the way we speak, about the, the people that we associate with and so forth. If we're determined to fit in, 
we're missing it. The Israelites wanted to fit in, and it was all wrong. This, this determination to be different is going to make us different in areas like social drinking. It's going to make us different in areas like modern dancing. It's going to make us different in questions about modesty and the clothes that we wear. Uh, I'll tell you, you want to fit in? If you want to fit in, you're going to go those ways, right? Social drinking, dancing, immodest dress. If you want to fit in, because that's what the people around us are doing, right? And unfortunately, we see that there's a, a movement among God's people in some of those very exact areas where we ought to be totally different. There's an there's a urge or a desire to want to fit in. I'll tell you, Israel was wrong when they wanted to be like the nations around. And we're wrong when we want to be like the nations around us. A passage that we use so often, I make no apologies for mentioning it again. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, beginning verse 3, The time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, wherein they, notice, they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. If the people of this world do not think that we're strange to some degree, then that's a that's a big warning sign. That ought to be a huge red flag that comes up. If the people of the world don't think that we're different, and even to the point of being strangely different, then that is a problem. And so when we think about the Israelites, when they said, give us a king, one of their big problems was this unnecessary and wrong desire to fit in and not be different. I want to suggest to you that maybe another thing that was in their mind is that they, had, they were being influenced by what you would have to call worldly standards of success. Try to picture in your mind these judges that were ruling over Israel. Uh, no robes and crown, no kingly splendor. Uh, they didn't live in palaces. Most of them were not rich individuals. Some of them just very common folks that judged Israel. They weren't surrounded by a whole host of servants and, a, and an army of soldiers who waited on them hand and foot. In other words, what we're saying here is if you look to the judges of Israel, they would have none of the material markers of success in this world. Would you agree with me? The kings of these other nations, in contrast, look at them, man. They're living in splendor. They have their jeweled crowns and they have their beautiful robes. They live in these palaces. Everything is so grand. People wait on them hand and foot. That is success. What we're doing is not so successful. Uh, you, You can easily see how the Israelites might have looked at it that way. What about a parallel to us in that regard? Uh, Is there a problem for us that we let things be determined in our mind from a this world perspective rather than from a spiritual perspective? Now that's what Israel was doing, right? They were looking at those other nations and boy, that looked like they were really doing well and we're, we're just over here not doing so well. There's nothing fancy about our existence. Look at their existence. Is there a possibility that that same sort of thing could happen to us? Look at the text again. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 19, We will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
You get the idea there. I think it's strongly hinted that the idea was that they were envious or jealous of the success of their neighboring nations, and certainly they wanted to be like them. Well, they got their king, didn't they? We know that they got their king. Uh, and one of the earliest ones, first King Saul, then David, then Solomon, just the third king in Israel was Solomon. And he became hugely successful by worldly measure. Uh, we know about the wealth of Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning verse 4, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water, I got me servants and maidens. I had great possessions uh, of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Here Solomon was talking about his achievements and his accomplishments. And they were significant. We've tried to make this point before. And I was actually trying to do a little research this week about trying to compare Solomon's wealth to today's monetary values. And of course it's a practical impossibility to do that. But by any consideration Solomon if not the richest man who ever lived certainly one of the richest men who ever lived and when he said whatever my eyes desired I kept not from them I withheld not my heart from any joy you you have to believe that Solomon could do that he had the material resources to satisfy every craving that he had and he could gratify every desire that passed his mind he could as they say, chase the dream, like none of us would ever be able to do so. But you know the story, you know it very well, that this, this was amazing success by worldly standards, but Solomon was not pleased or satisfied with the outcome. I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. You see that all of that that Solomon had and all that he did was not satisfying to him. The question now for us is, can we be wise enough to learn the lesson that Solomon learned really the hard way? He had the wealth and the material prosperity to pursue everything, and he did. And it didn't get him what he wanted. We couldn't go to the same extent of experimentation that Solomon did, but we don't even have to. Can we learn from him? Can we be wise enough to learn the lesson that success by worldly standards is not the measure of a man's life and it will not bring lasting satisfaction? You know well Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 beginning, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. Here's the conclusion, the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what life is about. There's where meaning is. And so the Israelites not only wanted to fit in, they didn't like the idea of being different, but they looked at the nation around and said, boy, they seem to be pretty successful. Maybe we're not as successful as they are. And And they were maybe motivated by that. And of course, that was a huge mistake. But let me suggest also that, bottom line, they just failed to appreciate 
the unique relationship that they had with God. And I'm afraid maybe that we do also. We fail to appreciate our unique relationship with God. No one else had what the Israelites had. And that, that can't, that's a statement that can't be debated, right? They were in a unique relationship with God. They were His specially chosen people. Nobody else had what they had. Uh, granted, they were not like the people around them. But their glory was not in kings with jeweled crowns or great palaces. Their glory was in this special relationship that they had with the one true God of heaven. Uh, that's really what mattered. That was the most important thing, but they didn't realize that. They really failed to appreciate that unique relationship with God. Go back to our text one more time. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a king, it displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Notice, they have rejected me, that I should not, uh, they, have, they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that they should not reign over, that I should not reign over them. How would you like to have been in their shoes at that instance to know that God said, Samuel, this is not about you. It's about them and me. It's not that they have rejected you. They have rejected me. They don't want me to reign over them. I tell you, it would be a pretty scary prospect if, if you agree with me that God would clearly have been very displeased at the request of the Israelites and viewed it as a rejection. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Now, again, as we've been trying to do throughout our study, draw the parallel to us. When we, like we've just been saying, when we are determined that we want to fit in with the world, uh, when we try to judge what's good based upon what the world says is good, when we reject God, uh, when we pursue and strive for the things of the world that alienate us from God, we have rejected Him. That's a scary thing. Think for a minute about what we have. We were, we, the Israelites should have appreciated their special relationship with God. We should appreciate what we have with God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I, uh, the Apostle John there by inspiration seems to be speaking in, in, in the sense, can you believe this? How incredible is this? What an amazing thing that the Father loved us and allows us to be called His children, that we should be called the sons of God. That's incredible. Here is the almighty creator of the universe, the all-powerful God. Here we are weak and fallible, sinful and yet God still has made it possible for us, because of His love for us, God has made it possible for us to be called His Son. That's an amazing thing. What a relationship we are privileged to enjoy. Never take that for granted. Uh, the, the, the world hasn't got that, and the world can't offer that. Don't fail to appreciate the relationship that we have with God. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, the psalmist seemed to be just dumbstruck by this concept. What is man, he says, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? That's a really good question. 
what, what's in us that deserves what God has done for us? Absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing in us that would deserve what God has done. What is man that thou art mindful? It doesn't make sense that, that God would care, but he does. Through his grace and mercy, he has made it possible for us to be saved. In Hebrews chapter 8, the Hebrew writer quotes an Old Testament prophecy. And the prophecy was this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was actually speaking about what has come to fruition in our time, right? We are the ones. And God said, I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. That's us. And nobody else has that, right? The people in this world who are not serving God don't have that. Don't take that for granted. Don't fail to realize this special relationship that we enjoy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 7, Paul said, God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God. Wait a minute. He who rejects this does not reject man but God. In other words, if we, we are not called to uncleanness. We've been called to holiness. If we don't live holy lives, if we don't live the way that God has instructed that we should live, if we don't live as He's called us to live, we're not rejecting men. Israel didn't reject Solomon, did they? Or Samuel, rather. Israel didn't reject Samuel. They rejected God. If we don't live holy lives, we're not rejecting men. We're rejecting God. If you choose not to live a, a godly life, if you choose not to live a holy life, you haven't rejected what men say. You haven't rejected what preachers say. You haven't rejected what elders somewhere or another said. If you decide not to live right, you're not rejecting men. You're rejecting God. Just like Israel rejected God, we may be guilty of rejecting Him if we fail to appreciate that special relationship we have and fail to live the holy lives He desires us to live. So, just a little bit of of consideration here about some of the motivations that might have driven the Israelites to ask for a king. They, they were in a situation where they really did have bad leadership. There's no doubt about that. Samuel's sons were very bad guys, and they were doing a corrupt job in leading Israel. And so that needed to change. It could have been changed easily and still stayed within the parameters of God's will for them. Let's get some good judges to judge us. Let's get rid of these wicked guys and let there be appointed righteous judges. They didn't want that. They wanted a king. And so that what they really wanted was to be like everyone else, to be accepted, to, to have the kind of success that they saw people around them enjoying. And in all of that, they failed to appreciate the relationship that they had uniquely with the God of heaven. I think there's some real parallels and unfortunately possible parallels to us and we need to be really careful about that uh, as we live our lives today hope that our thoughts will motivate us all to think along those lines and make sure that we're being the people God wants us to be he is the one who reigns over us let us submit wholly to him thanks for listening to our lesson hope it, it, it will encourage us all as we bring the lesson to a close we're going to sing the song of invitation In singing this song, we'll first be thinking of those who are already Christians. 
Make sure you're living that life that God wants you to live. Um, don't imitate the mistaken thinking of the Israelites when they ask for a king. But if you feel like you have failed and fallen back, then come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If you're, a Christ, if you're not a Christian yet, we hope you'll make a decision to obey the gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.